0: Greetings. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry. The topic today is the Holy Trinity. We frequently pray to the Holy Trinity. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We frequently invoke the Holy Trinity and yet to explain what the Holy Trinity is is quite a mystery. And although we are limited in our understanding and explanation of the Holy Trinity, we can gain some insights and to stretch our knowledge of the Holy Trinity, as well as pondering who the Holy Trinity is. I'm so grateful that we have Deacon Rusty Baldwin from the Secular Order of Discalced Carmelites in Dayton, Ohio, who in this homily discusses the mystery of the Holy Trinity and also introduces us to the Catholic evangelist, Frank Sheed's approach as well. I hope you enjoy and profit from this homily on the Holy Trinity.
1: We all know the doctrine of the Trinity. God is one God in three divine persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But have you ever discussed the Trinity with someone? If you have, perhaps the conversation went something like this I wonder why it is that. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, why three persons? Don't get me wrong, I believe it. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around the idea, you know? To which the other person replies, I've thought about that too, but I don't really understand it either. I guess that's why they call it a mystery. Then the following ritual typically comes... You both nod solemnly, sigh, and then find something else to talk about, like the weather or sports. Isn't it curious that the doctrine of the Trinity, which is so pervasive and central to Catholic theology, liturgy, and our customs, is so poorly understood? Think about how pervasive references to the Holy Trinity are. How do we begin every prayer? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mass begins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mass ends by blessing us in the name of the Father in the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not an overstatement to say that the Trinity permeates every aspect of our faith and that the doctrine remains for many an impenetrable mystery. But that's the problem, the doctrine. Not the doctrine itself, of course, but treating the doctrine as if it were the Trinity. The doctrine is simply what we must accept as true about the Trinity. It is not the Trinity itself. The Trinity is not a something like a doctrine. The Trinity is someone. So we're not going to focus on what the doctrine says, essential as that is, but rather who the doctrine is about. But before we begin, please understand that no homily, no analogy, no explanation will be able to resolve the mystery completely, nor should we expect it to. I mean, after all, we'll spend an eternity in heaven contemplating the mystery of the Holy Trinity. But my hope is that by considering the persons of the Holy Trinity and who they truly are, we can move from what before was a complete mystery that had us scratching our heads and shrugging our shoulders to a mystery that has us falling on our knees and praising the glory and majesty of Almighty God. And to do this, I'll draw on the incredible Frank Sheed, a renowned Catholic evangelist whose clarity in explaining difficult concepts won him wide renown during his lifetime. Mr. Sheed approached the Trinity this way. We often hear it said that our God is a living God. That's so, a natural question arises. What does God's life consist of? I mean, we often ask a person what they do with their time, so let's be bold and inquire, what does God do with his eternity? What is God's life work, if you will? Well, running the universe, of course, but that's not a very satisfying answer once you consider that the universe, however vast, is still finite and could hardly be the life work of an infinite being. Not only that, but what then did God do before he created the world, before he created time itself? nothing hardly let's start unpacking this conundrum with the fact that god is all-knowing and all-loving that is he knows and loves infinitely who then is a fitting recipient of this infinite knowledge and love that is to whom is all this knowing and loving directed instinctively we rush to answer well, to us, all mankind, and thanks be to God, he does indeed love us. But even though we were made in his image and likeness, like the universe, we're finite and hardly a fitting recipient for his infinite capacity to know and infinite capacity to love. After all, we ourselves cannot know or love infinitely, so we can't love him infinitely in return. No, love is an exchange between persons. And the most fitting recipient of the infinite love of the Father must himself be divine. A person capable of knowing and loving infinitely. And such a person is found in the Father's eternally begotten Son. So close to the Father... So in love with the Father, so united to him that they share the same being, the same essence. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. They are one. To understand this love in even a small way, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had the privilege of knowing a married couple who has been together for so long and who are so in love that it's impossible to think of them ever being apart, so in tune with each other that they know exactly what the other is thinking and yet can't wait to, be, to, to get together to talk, who do special things to show their affection and who share an intimacy that seems almost divine, whose love almost seems to radiate from them whenever they're together. That kind of relationship, that kind of love is but a faint image of the love between the Father and the Son. An eternal love story that precedes creation. A love story because God is the very source of love. God is lover. Before he created the world and throughout all eternity the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And from that infinite and eternal love between divine persons comes another eternal divine person. A person without beginning or end proceeding from the love the Father and the Son share. We call this person the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity eternally proceeds from is the fruit of the love between the father and the son. And if we don't push the analogy too far in an admittedly incomplete way, the child that results from the love between a husband and a wife is a faint image of this divine love. But it would be a grave error to think of this as having any kind of temporal sequence like First the Father, then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. All three persons are co-eternal without beginning or end. So how do all these abstract considerations apply to us? In at least two ways. First, while the Trinity is and will always be a mystery, we are capable of understanding a small part of that mystery. Namely, that God's life work, if you will, is to know and love infinitely. And to love requires an exchange between persons. That is what he did eternally before he created the world and time and what he will do for all eternity. God is complete in himself, needing nothing else. Second, because he is pure love, he generously and without necessity, purely out of love, created us. Knowing that we would rebel and fall, knowing that we would need to be saved, knowing that he would send his son to redeem us, so that we might too participate in this eternal love affair. So that we might eternally love our God and our neighbor, and to be eternally loved by him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The bottom line is this. The Apostle John said that to love God whom we cannot see, we must necessarily love our neighbor who we can see. Our lives on earth are our one chance to practice loving as God does. So it's time to get to work.